Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. You can't make people like you. You just have to wait for hating you to bore them. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, this isn't a big surprise, but I am not a citizen of rationalia. Are you? <laughs> They're reviewing my application. <laughs> Are uh, they? Yeah. I don't, you know, I, I, I think that I'm more a citizen of reasonable alia. Um, is that a country? Is that a nation? <laughs> I think it should be. You just yeah. kind of reasonable? Uh, yeah, you know, that guy's pretty reasonable. He doesn't yeah. seem to have any extreme, you know. The Kantian in you must just think this is exactly so what I've been waiting for, right? If if I actually believed that that rationalia as proposed by Neil deGrasse Tyson was made up of ultimate Kantian agents who actually were irrational, then maybe I would get like a little a little deontology boner going. But uh <laughs> <laughs> but I don't I just don't believe it. Does that exist, a, a deontology boner? I don't think that's a thing. I don't think anybody's ever gotten one. Tamler, it ought to. Out of a How's duty? That? You get a boner out of duty? <laughs> it's, sort of... it's like a German website. <laughs> exactly. I think that's right. Like that. That's what it would be. Oh, that joke was good on so many levels. Uh, it really I, I was. Saw, I feel I'm really we should just uh, Let's just wrap up. Thank you uh, <laughs> for joining us on this episode of Very We're not going to. It's all down here. It can't get it's, better than it's, that. It's not just downhill. It's like off a cliff from here. <laughs> but yeah, so well, for those of you who have unwisely decided to stick with us, we are going to continue and we'll start in this segment. So today our, our two segments connect with each other and in, in really um, yeah, serendipitous ways. ways. Yeah, we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to first talk about Neil deGrasse Tyson, the enemy of philosophy. Maybe that's why you don't subscribe to rationalias because the philosopher in you hates all of uh, Tyson's attacks on philosophy, and there are a lot of them, and, and humanities in general, and that's what you are really a philosopher. So, well, it's it's like it's a, it, yes, I agree with you, and it, and it's it's like the ultimate irony. It's like he didn't under it's like he never really understood what philosophers are supposed to study. Uh, physicists tend to do this; they they like make. Yeah. I, I love physics, you know. I have physics envy. And yet they make the, the like the stupidest of of errors of rationality. So let let me just read some. Of, so Neil deGrasse Tyson. This this started out as a tweet 
that he wanted to start a country or a nation called Rationalia, where like all the policies would be based on good evidence and uh, anything else would be rejected. It was roundly ridiculed, um, I would say, from pretty much all sides of the political spectrum. A few of the sort of, you know, really hardcore, maybe new atheists like Richard Dawkins embraced it. They and, and, and other physicists, they would hold up signs saying, I am a citizen of, of rationalia. But, I, you know... I think including the little the little picture that he included, yeah, uh, in that original tweet, it's, just, it's almost just begging people to mock you. For <laughs> no, right? And, and, I mean, and and, the, and, and and we didn't. We almost talked about it, but then we didn't because we thought it would be piling on, and it was probably just like a drunk tweet or something like that, <laughs> you know. And everybody else was dealing with it, but then he doubled down. He developed on his Facebook page like an actual kind of constitution of rationalia. And so I thought we'd go through this to see, well, maybe, you know, we we were too dismissive as a <laughs> as, as a country, as a, as a non-rationalia again, like, country of, of this proposal. So I, you know, I still have this, this like, mildly, like, this sort of feeling like this is just too easy. But you know, like you said, he doubled down. So I, we should read yeah. it. It, it would be—it's a sign of respect to I, go through the Constitution. And by the way, in that picture, did you see that there's like one guy who appears twice? I was like, is there an identical twin <laughs> in Rationalia? Is, That's is probably just an error. An error. <laughs> if this is like—if this That's is the a, way we're running things, Berenstain um, E and Berenstain A briefly <laughs> in the same universe, both uh, citizens of Rationalia. <laughs> Uh, um, so yes, for, uh, I question his his put, posting of this on Facebook as as the first step of rationalia's um, bureaucracy. Well, that's because but, you're not a citizen of rationalia. But yeah, if you right. were, you would know that Facebook is how these things build momentum. It's an Arab Spring. <laughs> Facebook and is is this a is this a <laughs> is this a monarchy? Uh, it's not. It's not a monarchy at all. Though it, I guess I don't know. It might be. Might not be. I, I, I sort of assume it's supposed to be a democracy, but he doesn't. Yeah, he, he doesn't say it explicitly. He doesn't say it that... explicitly. And there's a way in which there's it couldn't be a democracy because a right. democracy doesn't. A democracy leads to Trump being like. A, well, no, a, just a, a democracy. They don't. They're not. They couldn't be bound by the the. That's right. uh, what's what's in this constitution and in fact it would be almost unnecessary for people to vote based on what the constitution so let's just go through it in rationalia the constitution stipulates that a body of convincing evidence needs to exist in support of an idea before any policy can be established based on it in such a country data gathering careful observations and experimentation would be happening all the time influencing practically every aspect of our modern lives that already sounds just like virtual reality like mechanical turk just pops into your head constantly just, or it's like r randomly assigning you to different thoughts <laughs> it's like let's let's see what happens if i give david like murderous impulses oh oh there uh, didn't work didn't work by the way, so so the idea is that it needs evidence, and the second thing we'll be discussing today, maybe the more substantive topic, is a paper by Dan Kahan called and colleagues called, so. motivated numeracy and enlightened self government. 
by Kahan, Erica Dawson, Alan Peters, and Paul Slovic. That paper would throw an, an additional monkey wrench into rationality. In, in what is a perfectly ironic yeah. sort of uh, evidence against the whole uh, against idea. an evidence-based yeah. <laughs> approach to government. In rationality, I'm, I'm sure you, you're in favor of this article of the Constitution. Uh, in rationalia, the sciences that study human behavior, psychology, sociology, neuroscience, anthropology, economics, etc., would be heavily funded since much of our understanding of how we interact with one another derives from research within subfields of these disciplines. You know, so far, I got, I, yeah. like, aside from the creepy, like, every, all the time experimenting, which is what Facebook is doing to us right now. Yeah. Um, Influencing uh, practically every aspect of our lives. <laughs> exactly. yeah. so I, I'm okay. I'm, so far, that. I'm okay with this. Like, yeah. like okay. So far, yeah, yeah, I don't know how much neuroscience has contributed to our understanding of how we interact with one another. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, or anthropology, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> or economics. <laughs> Certainly not. Like, economics just distorts. <laughs> uh, in rationalia, you would have the complete freedom to be irrational. You just don't have the freedom to base policy on your ideas if the weight of evidence does not support it. For this reason, rationalia might just be the freest country in the world. Yeah. It, this is so. Yeah. Okay. So, like again, like that first part of it, you shouldn't base your po- policy on ideas if the weight of evidence doesn't support it. That's fine, right? Yeah. Um, but then it says, for this reason, it might just be the freest country in the world. That's what I don't get. Is this like a positive freedom kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. I th- I think we we have to like we have to go into the varieties of freedom. If, which I already have forgotten about in our previous episode. Um, this is by the like way, making one, Plato it, blush, like Plato's <laughs> philosopher king, be like, "Well, I don't know if I'd call it the freest." That's, that's kind of how I figure. Like that's kind of how I picture Neil deGrasse Tyson in, in his like platonic <laughs> robes, being a philosopher king. Um, you you missed one uh, that says in rationality, since weight of evidence is built into the constitution, everyone would be trained from an early age how to obtain and analyze evidence and how to draw conclusions from it. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, – I mean, again, like I, I left again, that out because we, we, we sort of do that. Like they, we have our kids take science classes. and yeah. But it I'm does sound it. a little more like rigorous kind of like all in beige uniforms kind of thing. I think this – this like this is – he's just describing Vulcan. Like he, he just got <laughs> like – he just got the various Star Trek episodes that actually talk about Vulcans and he just made a, a – <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly in like the the J.J. Abrams reboot of the movies. They have like the little Vulcan kids are like in these pods and they're just presented with like Pythagorean's theorem. And like it's, it's like, see, that's an interesting idea is just like Vulcan kids, like Vulcan school or something like yeah. that. You know, like how how do they like do they get into fights, you know, in the schoolyard? What happens when <laughs> someone into, insults their mother or something like that? Or they get into they they or if somebody like uses the word deduction when they're referring to induction. Induction, yeah. Like somebody's <laughs> really into a, old the old Sherlock Holmes book. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So he wants to give an example of basing policy on your ideas. So here's here's something where I think like this is starting to 
get at what, what one of the problems with this idea is. If you want to introduce capital punishment, you'd need to propose a reason for it. If the reason is to deter murder, then an entire research machine would be put into place, <laughs> if it did not already exist, to see whether, in fact, capital punishment deters murder. If it does not, then your proposed policy fails, and we move on to other proposals. <laughs> well, okay, so the great thing here is, is if you want to introduce capital punishment, so it's assuming assuming that it does not exist, right? And I just I just am like, you know what, man? The capital punishment is a cool like we should do it. And so he would introduce it. Right. So he would be like, let's randomly assign like like states of rationalia to be to have capital punishment. So he's willing to just basically saying like, you know, you, you got to break a few eggs to make an omelet. If I wanted to propose, I want to introduce. Um, sort of like rampant homicide as a means to get economic gain. Um, then he's like, all right, all right. Yeah, just, let's just do the study. Let's, let's, so let's, let's, let's do that research let's machine. Let's get that, let's get that up and running. No, but here's the other thing. How do you determine what the default is, right? Like right. what if you wanted to introduce a policy that banned capital punishment? Like why isn't that the policy that no, you I have know. to No, I know. Yeah. Because like, like, then you you're, it you're, you're, you're equally fucked, right? Like what's your reason for banning capital punishment? Yeah. And if the weight of evidence – and it, it's not just that the weight of evidence has to support your reason, but that that reason has to also outweigh the other reasons. Yeah, well, he's not. It's not even. It's it for like the only definition of reason here. Like you need a reason for it is just evidence. So it, it's it's as if he's saying like he's using he's using the term reason. Well, he says if the re- right. Well, no, he says the reason you want to have capital punishment. This is the prop. The, the proposal he's imagining yeah. is to deter murder. That's not a evidence. The evidence yeah, would yeah, be yeah, whether yeah. it does or doesn't does determine. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. You're you're right. The question of the defaults is is I, I think there would be just large swaths of of laws that just do not exist. Like oh, we we haven't. <laughs> Do we start from scratch? Is that the deal? Like we start from scratch and that there's just no laws and we build from there. Um, Every law gets empirically tested. Then here's, you know, here's where his anti-humanity arts, anti-arts, anti-liberal arts shows itself. In rationalia, for example, if you want to fund art in school, you simply propose a reason why. Does it increase creativity in the citizenry? Is creativity good for culture and society at large? Is creativity good for everyone, no matter what your chosen profession? These are testable questions. They just require verifiable research to establish answers. And then the debate ends quickly in the face of evidence. And we move on to other questions. There's a lot of moving on to other questions and proposals in this. Yeah, because that's exactly how science works. so I, it's, now I'm not a scientist, so again, I might be, but is it really testable whether art increases creativity in the citizenry is, um, and, and whether creativity is good for culture and society at large? Like, how do you test for the goodness I, and the creativity? Yeah, again, this is such low-hanging fruit, it almost feels like, <laughs> but maybe it's just for us. Like, I mean, just, you know, to, like good. There's just no bother to define what good is, which is, you know, it's just like the the biggest if it, if there's one problem, it's that that very thing. It's like the the notion of good, 
um, has, is so underspecified, and I, and it's it's like you know it cre- when Neil deGrasse says it. <laughs> right, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's his definition of good, which doesn't yeah. need the one thing that doesn't need empirical right. evidence to support. In rationalia, research in psychology and neuroscience. Now it's we're narrowing down here oh. to just you and uh, Josh uh, Green. Yeah. Are you maybe are you looking at a different version? Well, no, I'm not going one... through all of them. I like. Oh, okay. Them. You're just a few because there's one thing I wanted to talk about. Where right. it, it's like yeah. so. It's so <laughs> okay. so just. No, go like, ahead. In rationalia, citizens would pity newscasters for presenting their opinions as facts. This is, is <laughs> I like that. This is when I don't feel sorry for making fun of it anymore because <laughs> it's just like it's not like in rationalia people would be encouraged not to present opinions as facts. No, it would just be you are required this emotional reaction. <laughs> um, no, I just think you, that's the rational. He's not saying that they're required to, but just that that would be the rational. Oh, they just would. It would be an outcome. It would be an outcome <laughs> of. Uh, I like that. That's part of the constitution, though. That like that they're just a prediction as to the feelings of people regarding newscasters. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, I, and I like that that idea. He got like wildly specific for a second. <laughs> <It's> just like, <laughs> no, I love that. I I I left it out because I didn't want to go through all of them. But maybe we just <laughs> yeah, should have. Yeah. Um, in uh, rationalia, research in psychology and neuroscience um, would establish what levels risks what level risks we are all willing to take and how much freedom we might need to forfeit in exchange for comfort health wealth and security so i again i i'm not even clear like how you would go about establishing what level risks we are all willing to take and I can't for the life of me think how neuroscience could est- could help to establish that <laughs> any more than like oceanography or a study of 14th century Icelandic poetry. <laughs> so, so uh, okay, to, to be fair, I know neuros- like neuroscientists who think they are like they, they do study risk in the brain, but like uh, uh, we don't have to dismiss that research like that's just showing us how the brain interprets risk it doesn't really say how like what level of risk people are like you're willing i agree with you right people are willing to take not not only that but but if anything is clear it's that there are wide individual differences in what risk people are willing to take for various things and so like that's probably one of the big differences in liberal versus conservative and so what do you take the average like I don't know. It's just like it's a that's a testable question. A, do we take the do, average? Do we just take the least it, the does, least risk averse, the most the, risk averse, the top third and um I think he need they they need like a kind of a Rawls figure as yeah. they right as they're gurring. Okay, so now he get, now he gets to the sort of the objections. This this was in response to a bunch of articles that were trashing the idea. And again, our goal isn't to pile on, but um, he he gives like right at the beginning of this the the most common objection, and I think it's common for, for good reason, was the question of whether where such a country would get its morals and how other ethical issues might be established or resolved. And his response to this is puzzling. 
He says, the last I reviewed the U.S. Bill of Rights, there was no discussion of morals there either. Nowhere does it say thou shalt not kill. Meanwhile, there's an entire amendment, number three, that prevents the military from bunking in your home without your permission. So I don't. I, that's I, that's like a non sequitur. I don't. I don't get. It. Right. Like it's true that there's no discussion of morals here, but the the question was where rationalia would get its like core values, right? Which like he calls the, its the morals. whole notion of a bill of rights. It was like a yeah. heavily debated ethical like issue. That's the whole fucking point. And in fact, like they the no- do say the we find these truths to be self-evident, to be self-evident. but like yeah. that's not – it's not true that they're self-evident, you know. But at least yeah. that they were sort of on the they, – they at least were on the record as saying here's the thing. Here's our assumptions and we're not questioning these, but here they are. Yeah, and that's – as he goes on to later talk about, like, that's why we have amendments to the Constitution, because, like, we thought some things were pretty immoral. Like, you don't need to use the word moral to have a moral discussion. Also consider that across time and culture, morals have evolved typically by rational analysis of the effects and consequences of a previously held moral in the light of emergent knowledge, wisdom, and insight. So, you know, now here's where the consequentialism, just the assumed consequentialism starts uh, to peek out. The Bible, for example, is not a fertile place to find anti-slavery commentary nor discussions of the equality of women. But, of course, like a lot of other places well, aren't yeah, fertile it does, places. It does discuss the equality of women. It just yeah. kind of comes to a conclusion. <laughs> it's not maybe... Yeah. But... Um, uh, but you know, so, but, like yeah. I'm fine if if what you want to say is like this is how it ought to be done, but the the uh, descriptive slash historical claim that morals have evolved typically by rational analysis of the effects of and consequences of a previously held moral like that like so, uh, that it's just not true. I'd really like to. It's just empirically when, false when that's happening. <laughs> it's like yeah. you know what made people like more open to homosexuality is like will and grace. Like yeah. that's what made it. Like that's it wasn't it wasn't like. Hmm. I think men should be allowed to marry. It's, it's the overall net benefit of making out with. Yeah. Again, further down to address this um, issue, this sort of nagging issue, which is really nitpicking to ask what the core values of this society would be yeah. that you're gearing all your empirical research to try to bring about in rationalia you could create an office of morality where moral codes are proposed and debated what moral codes would the citizens of rationalia embrace that is itself a research project countries don't always get it right of course and neither will rationalia is slavery moral the USA's Constitution thought so for 76 years. Should women vote? The USA's Constitution said no for 131 years. Uh, but they weren't making moral claims, as he said before. <laughs> right. um, so so <laughs> it's almost as if he's proposing a, a sort of like a branch of analytical thinking about ethics, um, like ethics. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> And also, right, like philo- like like a philosophy, <laughs> like the philosophy of morality. It's l- the the deflection of questions that he himself proposes, <laughs> right? I know, like that in itself is a research project, right? But 
the like what are the possible answers like no that's a no that's a re- that's also a research question that's a research right <laughs> so anything but, that like doesn't have a conceivable answer just gets is just a research project but then that brings us back to philosophy which is not a big part of um rationalia nowhere in rationalia's constitution is there a discussion of philosophy um <laughs> whether or not there should be is an empirical question. Right. <laughs> this is what gets me about this. Um, there's Well, there's a couple of things that really, really bug me uh, um, among all of the things we've already been bitching about. But these are the ones that justify me even talking about it and, and sort of mocking it. Because, again, like I agree that we should be more evidence-based. I agree that we should have more experiments. Mm-hmm. We should base policy more on empirical data. We should do fund more science. All that shit. I agree with it all. And... It sucks that that somebody who whom I respect and who I feel would be like minded in all these questions would then do something that would polarize like t- and just piss me off and take me off out of his side. And one is the attitude of superiority that just oozes with like even the whole dumb notion of proposing a country of citizens who opt in to this like like rationalia bullshit where it's like it's like the brights it's like yeah it's like the bright it's just like uh are you like are are you gonna give me like the fucking crt like the cognitive reflection task to to see if i get in is this really how you want to change society by having just a bunch of pictures of old old dudes and laptops um (laughs) saying that they're citizens of hashtag rationalia (laughs) yeah like oh god damn it like why why neil degrasse why it's very much like the new atheist movement that even though i'm not a believer at all like i was so immediately turned off by it because of that sense of smug superiority it's smugness is exactly it's just it's pure smugness and you know i like i said i love neil degrasse tyson for pop you know popularizing science and and he's so fucking smart about so much like i've read like i've read one of his books and was blown away at the sort of elegance uh, with like with which he presented complex scientific ideas and and here is this like god like sloppy shit like and petty shit that's like the really you would have pity for I think did, it, did that have to be did that right. that have to be one of like the seven or eight articles of the yeah. constitution and also no one can take your pudding pops if you called them first right like exactly. no like some, like some stuff is coming him. out like probably. it's like shit he argued with his brother about like when he was a kid and if you say you're gonna go with somebody from the to the prom and then the the captain of the football team asks you out you still have to go with that person in imagination. <laughs> judged on their clothing if they don't really care that much about what kind of clothes they buy. Yeah. All right, so I thought maybe I would suggest some places where I would be more likely to want to be a citizen of. Um, I, hope, I hope that you that you paid attention to the word construction. I did. Um, in the- I tried to. <laughs> uh, you know, it was a little hard uh, sometimes. But um, here are a couple that I came up with. Um, sentimentalia. You know. <laughs> Sort of yeah. the, the the rival, like in the Cold War with Rationalia. Strassonia. <laughs> Strass. <laughs> uh, for P.F. Strassen. Moral pluralismia. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, the, it's pluralismia. It's not anything gozia. 
it's a it's it sounds like a disorder like a like man who mistook his wife for a hat like it's like uh oh hey, seems right <laughs> seems here's one here's, here's one that i think you could be on board with weed and pornia <laughs> i i like to call that paraphernalia that's probably better yeah <laughs> um i have no, a couple is, more uh park chan wukia a, a country where everything just kind of looks and feels like a Park Chan-wook movie. Um, I would good. love that. That's good. That's um, good. And finally, self-explanatory, <laughs> fuck Roger Gadelia. <laughs> I appreciate that you that you rose to the level of pettiness mm-hmm. that in, in the spirit of rationalia. Yes. Um, I, 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 uh, I would be a member of the country Dysenteralia. <laughs> we would just be dedicated to the eradication of dysentery. Nice. <laughs> it's, it's evidence-based bacchanalia. I mean, come on. Yeah. Right? This is just, this is already a thing. We should make a country out of it. Uh, that's just, what I, I think weed and pornia is a modern-day bacchanalia. bacchanalia yeah. <laughs> Glossolalia, where the official to- official language would just be just speaking in tongues. We would just walk around. <laughs> Which you can do, right? Yeah, and you would tongue and you yeah you would tongue kiss and speak in tongues. You'd be like, <laughs> do you? Uh, I don't. I don't want to do it now because. Right. Okay. Uh, we should do one off. podcast episode just all in tongues. But that was it. Episode one hundred. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then just echolalia, where people would just make sure and say everything twice, just <laughs> make sure it's well understood. I thought that was a universe just populated by bats. <laughs> um, and along with your sentimentalia, I, my alternate name for that was Qualia. <laughs> Where everything is just it's conscious experience. It. It's sort of is that the, what it's everybody just focus on what it's like to be a bat. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, all of those, I think, are preferable to rationalia. To rationalia. Um, these. But we want your comments and your ideas. Maybe some ideas of countries that you are from we need Uh, a hashtag for this campaign yeah what are you a citizen of yeah Yeah. hashtag um and if you are an older white male you can lift up a sign well you know it's it is weird neil neil degrasse tyson in his in his sign um there's 12 pictures (laughs) you count the repeated one and neil is the only person of color i think that uh well, the brothers have more sense than this, <laughs> for the most He's, part. I, I just feel like he could have gone out of his way to find another brother. All right, we'll get serious in segment two.
Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. Um, we'd like to take a moment to thank all of our supporters. First and foremost, our Patreon subscribers, our Patreon patrons. You can support us on Patreon by going to www.patreon.com slash verybadwizards. Sign up to contribute. There are three different levels of support right now. We're getting to the point where if you contribute $5 per episode, as many kind, generous souls have, you will get to vote on a choice of episode. So we're going to send to all of our Patreon subscribers uh, a call for nominations for episodes. We'll call that list to a group of finalists, and then our $5 and up subscribers can uh, will get to vote and we will do the topic that they vote on so that's just one of the goodies that you can get you can also get a volume of dave's beats and um, a monthly newsletter with our recommendations and picks last newsletter i recommended a movie that you can watch while you're hungover, and it'll help you get through the hangover. That's a that's a <laughs> something I'm a connoisseur of is those kinds of movies. Like you wake up in the morning, you feel kind of like shit. You just throw it's, this movie on, have a Bloody Mary. Is that a genre on Netflix? You can also support us on our webpage, verybadwizards.com/support. Um, you can do the Amazon click-through. We really appreciate all your click-throughs. Click on that link, then shop at Amazon as you normally would, and um, and we will get a small cut of that. But, you know, what I've started to do is just put that in my bookmarks that I can actually see because I was forgetting uh, more than half the time I was forgetting to do that. Yeah, it's easy just, to forget. Um, so that's if you're, if you're trying to remember but can't, that's a good way to do it. And we really appreciate everybody who does that. You can PayPal us a one-time donation. You can rate us on iTunes and download our podcast on iTunes so we can move up in those rankings. Even if you don't listen on iTunes, just subscribe and download them. Like, just, you know, you can just, <laughs> just delete them right after. I, like, I really feel like your self-esteem is, is – this is this is all just a quest to increase your daily self-esteem. Well, well it's like you with the Wikipedia page. Like, I, for some – I take, oh, yeah, I take yeah. that iTunes ranking personally. And, and then somebody – on our Facebook page, on the more entitled spectrum of our listeners, was complaining about the audio player on the website. Well, if you don't like the audio player on the website, why don't you just download the podcast on iTunes and then it'll be fine. Yeah, and I, we, can't do, this is, we can't do anything about it. It's Squarespace. <laughs> Talk to them. <laughs> Talk to Squarespace. Like us on Facebook. I don't think we've mentioned that, but we we post a lot of stuff on Facebook. That's a good place to comment on our posts and to give your feedback. You can also give your feedback by emailing us at verybadwizards at gmail.com and uh, following us on Twitter at Tamler at Peas at VeryBadWizards. It's, uh, it's a real honor to... Um, to have as many people contact us and support us in the way that they do. And then just uh, on before we get to the to actual topic, it is it's only because of that support that keeps us going. But but as I was thinking about it, this is actually 
when we release this, it will probably be right around the four year anniversary. Exactly. Um, four I believe years, August thirtieth yeah. was the was our very very first episode four years ago, and it's pretty fucking crazy that we continue to do this. It really is only because. No, and people send us emails like, I I doubt this will get read, or we read every single email. We respond to some, we don't respond to others just based on, but we read them all and we love them. Like, If you're even thinking about taking the time to write us, to tell us something, to complain about, like, just do do it because we really... It's like my happy end of the, happy end of the day ritual to read, like, what's in the Very Bad Wizards folder. Like, every once in a while, I'm... A little nervous about what we'll find, <laughs> but mostly it's but good. mostly it's good. And yeah, we've been doing this every other week. We've we're on a good schedule. Like I'm about to go away for a little over a week, so we're recording this early. Yep, dedication. That's it's the most consistent, like of, in, in any of my do, in any domain of my life. <laughs> yeah, definitely. by a lot. I'm more clockwork on this than I am on like feeding my daughter. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. <laughs> All right, so. Today, the general topic is exactly, as Tamler was pointing out, relevant to the rationalia discussion, but, um, but it's something that's, that's always bugged me um, and that is increasingly distressing to me. And it is um, a source of deep pessimism for me. And I like broadly stated the question, I think, that that this paper attempts to answer how, how do we come to acquire beliefs that will shape our attitudes towards certain things that will to policies like which policies we favor which policies we don't favor yeah which political views you'll you hold um but yeah especially in the domain of of like scientific evidence but it, but not even just that just any anything that requires sort of the processing of information um in a in a rational uh, way so one of the one of the things that i think is is a success in the field of social psychology and judgment decision making is the literature that shows exactly how this whole process can can go astray so sincere people can come to believe very very different things based on exactly the same evidence Right. So, and this is why I say pessimism, because there's Im- implicitly in many of our discussions and in, for instance, the Elder Grass Tyson's discussion, there's, there's an, imp- an implicit belief driving much of the discussion that is, if people only just were given the right evidence and paid attention to it, they would come to believe the right things. And unfortunately, there's just a ton of evidence that isn't, that just doesn't happen. So one of my favorite examples is is just the research on say say that you want and this will actually tie in to, to this paper um say that you hold a stereotype right you say you believe like all elderly people are bad drivers so you might say well no like the the reason that i believe this is because i in fact have plenty of evidence that it's true and so what you do is when you're driving and someone cuts you off you look and it's an old person and sitting sitting behind driver's seat and you say see check mark for like the accuracy of That's my just beliefs. induction it's just induction right like this is ev- it's it's not not evidence right this is actually an observation it's an empirical observation it's not a but white what- raven <laughs> yeah it's not right the problem is that if you really want to test the the truth of that belief you have to pay attention 
you have to fill in all of the cells. So you have to say, when someone cuts you off and you look and it's not an old person, will you remember that? Will you will you fill that cell? Or even harder is when somebody uh, drives in a very like sort of careful way. You, somebody did did something really good. They stopped. They stopped when they ought to have because somebody was crossing the street. And you look at how many of those people are old. And you really need to fill out the two-by-two two cells that say old, not old, good driver, bad driver. And only then do you have all of the information that you need in order to figure out um, whether or not your stereotype is true. But you you don't attend to that. You don't remember that. Right. Like you don't may not even know that you need to do all that. And so but you swear up and down that, no, you saw this person cut you off and they were old. So that must be a true belief. So what you remember, what you encode, what you attend to already is getting fucked up. Like the stream of information is already getting biased as it's coming in. Like you're not paying attention to evidence that goes. It's confirmation um, bias. It's confirmation bias, right? So you can think of this as like you're only looking at one cell, that cell that shows the observations that you that you think are critical. Usually you just ignore the evidence that's inconsistent and not even willfully, right? You could just actually like you literally don't attend, you know, in like a cocktail party effect kind of way. Like you're just your ears don't even perk up at information um, in that's not confirming. Um, but if you're forced to like if I say like Tamler, you believe wine is good for your health <laughs> like, a, like so it is yeah they're like drinking three drinks a day is good for your health whatever it is that you do a little day. more but yeah um, what's a drink <laughs> um so there are so, containers that you could fill only three times that there's would be a, the amount i drink like you could just use a thing as the unit and it could the thing it could be like one of those those uh 40 ounce <laughs> Like mugs that you get in like right. the middle America grocery store. So I send you articles that say, guess what? New evidence shows that drinking is actually bad for you, right? Like it leads to heart disease. So what happens? So now I've forced you to attend to evidence that's not um, confirmatory. So what happens in those cases? You read that shit real carefully. I mean, this happens to us. Like, you and I do this yeah. to each other all the time. Yeah. Like, you examine for any possible flaw in the methodology. Yeah, like like that poll about <clears throat> the Redskins, right? Like, I read right. that shit like it was scripture. Like, I was fucking studying for my bar mitzvah, <laughs> reading it just yeah. in detail. Um, I assume that's what you guys do. I, Talmud is a better example where you're, like, really pouring yeah. through it. Like where to, you're just like, you know, this 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 word, like, when you add up the numbers, it's like, like pi. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so I do this, this shit all the time, like, with my uncle who believes that caffeine is bad for you. Like, he'll send me an article, and I'll be like, this wasn't published in JAMA, or, like, this is only has, like, 100 people, or this wasn't random assignment. But then if there's an article that says, like, caffeine's good for you, I just, like, well, right. seems legit, and I click send. I think I've talked about it on this podcast, but you remind me if I haven't, because one of my favorite studies of all time was done by Peter Ditto at UC Irvine, who I worked with as a postdoc, who's a great guy. Ditto. Um, he, yeah, Ditto. Yeah. He, uh, he did this study where he actually brought undergraduates into the lab, and he said, hey, like we're testing for this disease that's out there. We've developed a really simple test to test for this disease. All you have to do is put this little piece of paper in your mouth, and then dip it into this solution. And if it turns green or if it turns color or whatever, um, 
it means that you have the disease. So what he manipulated was whether the strip of paper turning color actually means that you're healthy or whether it means that you have the disease. So what happens is, like, presumably nobody wants to have this disease. So if it means that you're healthy, if nothing happens, by the way, this was just like water and a random piece of paper. Like, there's, it never turns color. Right? Um, so you put it in your mouth, you dip it in to the, to the solution, and it doesn't turn color. And people just put the paper down and they're like, cool, like, I don't have the disease. But if it, if turning colors means that you're healthy, then people will put it in their mouth, dip it into the solution, and look at it and wait like a Polaroid picture. They'll shake it like a Polaroid picture. Um, and they'll like dip it again. They'll like put it in their mouth again and they'll like keep dipping it. And that right there, that that difference between the people where it's like good news for it to turn colors versus bad news for it to turn colors is just captures exactly like the way in which people go about like processing information that's contrary to what they want to believe. So, right. and this so is why it, it's so hard to get people to change their mind about policy issues. If you're, you know, especially in a polarized political environment that we have right now, you know, a study that actually cast doubt on climate change is going to be very hard to convince people on the left that that study is in any way sound. Um, it'll either be dismissed or examined up and down for its for its flaws. And same with gun control, which is one of the examples that he uses, or it's the central example that he uses in this paper. It it sort of cast doubt even on intelligent people who are otherwise you know, well-meaning, well-intentioned. Exactly. And that's the thing, because it's so easy to just, it's not as if like I'm, I'm like Pollyanna-ish and then like believe that, it, that nobody has bad intentions. But this, this is the distressing thing is that like all of these levels of bias, like you can have people who really genuinely think that they're opening themselves up to like evidence. And they're good a, at processing evidence to a degree. To a degree, yeah. They will have even read the information and and it's like two reasonable people, citizens of reasonabalia, <laughs> reasonabalia, can come to to just completely different views given the same exact evidence. So I don't know if you actually got a chance, Tamler, to I, there was a blog post that um, yeah, I read that. Neuroskeptic is is a, a blogger and and somebody who tweets out um, who who sort of very carefully de de debunks the science, like brain science and just in general behavioral science. And um, he wrote a, a post uh, called "I Just Don't Believe Those Results." It's sort of interesting in terms of the current political climate because it was about a study. Um, he was discussing his response to a study that claimed to show this wild swing in, in um, support for Donald Trump um, with like a really, really small, dumb manipulation. It was like our typical sort of social psych priming study um, that purported to show this like huge dip, like change in attitudes before and after manipulation. And he just didn't believe it. But the, this post that we'll link to was, was about, whether or not he was being fair um, by saying, I just don't believe it. And that, that's the, the reason I was reminded of it is because you said, like, trying to convince a liberal that climate change doesn't exist. 
Like I feel it right there. Like if, if there was, if there was a study that came out saying like there's new evidence and it turns out that it doesn't exist, I would just be like, I don't, I just don't believe it. Right now, like maybe it's because like I've really read the research and I know really well, but like, no, <laughs> like not really. Right. It's just, no, I just don't believe it. So I've all, I, I've always, <clears throat> like you, shared this kind of pessimism, and every once in a while I will wonder whether I have any good reason to believe anything, anything. policy-oriented like the economy, you know, the effect of raising or lowering taxes, the benefits or, of Obamacare, climate change, of gun control, of – anything because i come in there with preconceived notions i am and those preconceived notions are themselves sort of like where did i get those well like because there are people i trust and who seem reasonable themselves who say that they've looked at the research and that this is where the evidence weighs in favor of but they are, they too are vulnerable to these same kinds of biases and so there's these like multi-level epistemic obstacles that are in the way of us having really any confidence in our beliefs about something even remotely complex and controversial. Right. And so, and here's the thing is you don't even have to believe because I don't like, it's not what I'm not saying is that there is no truth out there. Right. right? Like I actually, like I, I border on like some pr just pretty, Pretty strong, hardcore, like, hardcore <laughs> realist, stark raving realist. <laughs> yeah, right. Like I, I'm actually like a realist about about much of science, and I think that it's there. The problem is, it's like this meta problem that, um, it's it. I believe that many of my beliefs are true because they are based on evidence that's good, and I trust that scientists who believe stuff, you know, like I believe the atomic theory of matter is like by and large correct. And um, the problem comes from my inability to distinguish beliefs that are actually based on, on like, firm evidence. This is sort of like, you know, never mind the core philosophical problems. This is the practical problem of just how do you figure out which – what the weight of empirical evidence supports? Exactly. So, so here's where I think this, this paper actually adds a wrinkle that's just usually not discussed. And one that should make people even more pessimistic. <laughs> yes. Read any popular book on, on you know, behavioral economics or social psych, and they'll point to all of these errors and biases, right? So, like, fair enough. Believe, like, I believe that we are prone to all these errors and biases, right? But the solution... The, the very, very popular way of thinking about this stuff is, well, you know, these heuristics and these biases, like biases arise from these heuristics, these ways of processing information that tend, tend to give reliable results but can misfire and really, really um, – I mean this is the heart of, of uh, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow by Danny Kahneman. This is what won him the Bank Prize of Sweden, the Nobel Prize in Economics. The idea is – well, it's because you are relying on this particular mode of thinking, this system one style, lazy sort of cognitive miser, heuristic based processing of information. And the way to fix this is to use 
your system too, right? Like your your rationality, the the effortful, like the the opposite of the quick, fast, heuristic system one, but like the the slow, deliberate, careful thinking, right? This is what Josh Green thinks will correct our our moral missteps. What Kahneman and Tversky argued, um, and everybody since them has argued, will correct our errors. Um, prudential reasoning and yeah, yeah and prudential reasoning and, and judgment under uncertainty what Cass Sunstein will, you know believes will also shape our our morality for the better the story about about how to fix this stuff is if you could get people to think more deeply and carefully about this um, then then we would be a better society because people would actually acquire true beliefs more effectively so you wouldn't have people you know getting feeling like like vaccines are too risky because they would actually read the probabilities so move people off the type one kind of quick and ready heuristics you maybe emotion intuition based all of that stuff and move it towards the deliberative you know neil degrasse tyson (laughs) exactly um, Right. Read John Heights like a rational dog in its emotional tail. And he has like a nice little table in there describing the two systems. But this is just like to say that that's the solution that people hold. Like many educated people believe that like, if you if you just think hard about a problem and you have some level of intelligence necessary, you will come to believe the right thing. This paper, throws a big wrinkle into this. This is what the authors did. They said, OK, Let's figure out how people interpret scientific evidence. Well, let's just talk about what the the two theses are about how people come to their beliefs. So one of them they call the science comprehension thesis, and this is that people who are more intelligent, who use type 2 reasoning and the deliberative processes more, um, will come to... Uh, accurate judgments based on the evidence and 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 people who don't tend to be more in the sway of that type one heuristic emotion intuition based so that's one that's uh, like and that's the standard account right like if we can measure people like on sort of the tendency to use and their ability to use system two then those people um should be better at interpreting um this particular scientific study that they give the alternate in some ways more pessimistic, although there's something just so cool about it that I, I don't even like calling it uh, pessimistic, but the identity protective cognition thesis. Right. Uh, so one of, one of the reasons I didn't bring up the categories is because I hate yeah. the, their terminology yeah. for this. <laughs> but the general idea is is that we will pick out evidence that supports how how we identify ourselves through our relationships with other people. We are trying to keep those relationships intact and our sense of ourselves intact and coherent. It's in some ways like the memento thesis, right? Like that you will do what you what you have to do to make your story coherent. And and not necessarily in a in a sort of deliberate intentional manner. This is just how we work. Like one way of saying it is, being a rational, reasonable system two thinker is not enough because you have this other agenda. And it's so so that's another 
kind of explanation for how people arrive at inaccurate beliefs based on the evidence. Right. And so so again, the, the first one is the traditional system two route. And so here's what you would expect. So they set up an experiment. Is again, a very traditional sort of motivated reasoning style experiment where you give people um, information that they would already be inclined to believe that is, in this case, very consistent with their identity or information that is inconsistent with what they would be inclined to believe. So preference inconsistent um, goes against their values, their, in this case, their sort of political stances. But So here's the critical part. So again, half of the people got the description of a scientific study that was done um, that where you have to make this calculation. That is, in order to figure out what exactly this study, what the conclusions from should be drawn from this study, um, you have to kind of do the math. You have to do that two-by-two two, uh, calculation. So specifically, people were given a description of a scientific study um, on a new cream for skin rashes right i'm just familiar with that that area of science ass rashes (laughs) anal rashes anal (laughs) polyps um uh, that's the nice thing about gold bond it's for all of that stuff (laughs) you're Uh, more familiar with rashes apparently they they, they tend to advertise on the kinds of tv shows that my parents are watching nowadays (laughs) (laughs) so the results are our are given for a study where they randomly assign people with skin rashes to get a skin cream or a placebo. And then the results are either their skin rash improves or it gets worse. And so two by two, like cream or no cream, treatment or no treatment. And uh, testing whether they interpret the data properly. Yep. So they're given the results and they're given the results, importantly, as raw numbers. So, um, so again... This is essentially just like a, a math problem, kind of, right? They're given the uh, whatever the number of subjects were in the study. They're given the number of patients who who used the new skin cream and got better, um, who did not use the new skin cream and got better, and the ones then the same for the ones who got worse and used the skin cream but didn't. And importantly, like this actually turns out when you're just given the raw numbers, it's hard to figure out what's going on in the study because you can have numbers that just look big. But when you actually compute the percentages, you realize that just because the number looks bigger in one cell doesn't mean that that's that that that's exactly how the results were. And so it's kind of like a difficult word problem, right? Logic math. Yeah, it's like the it's GRE. GRE. Okay, so then. They gave people individual difference measures. One of them was political orientation. In this case, there's no, as far as I know, um, I'm not very political, but I don't think that there is a party line about skin rash ointments. <laughs> um, Bernie supporters are. <laughs> and gold bond doesn't work for shit. And so they give people this measure of, it's a, it's a measure called a numeracy. Right? And numeracy is just a measure that apparently has been used by many researchers before it's sort of a blend of your mathematical mathematical ability like how good are you with numbers and the extent to which you're likely to use that kind of system to um thinking you so know, presumably just, people who are high on this measure will be better able to solve this somewhat difficult math problem because exactly. it's essentially testing how good you are at solving math problems mm-hmm. in a nutshell it, you get exactly what you might expect in this condition. P- 
people who are good at numbers are good at this problem. Like they actually come up with the right answer. People who are shittier in numeracy are worse at getting the problem right. The critical condition, though, is when they give another set of people the same exact numbers, right? The same two by two table, um, except for that they are instead of a skin rash study, they're told that this is a study on gun control measures that were introduced in a state or uh compared to a control state where the gun control measure was not introduced and whether crime went up or whether crime went down. But the numbers, again, mathematically, the numbers are identical and the answer is the same. And here is where they split people up into liberal and conservative. And here is where you get this critical test of the hypothesis, which is if numeracy, if the ability to use system two and the tendency to use system two, the ability to think and and your, your desire to think, you should get the same result as in the skin cream. Is the standard answer is people who think more deeply about stuff should get better. You could you so that's one result that you might expect. Another result that you might expect is it doesn't make a difference. Like you might expect, like it's just it's actually numeracy has nothing to do with it. Um, but what they get here is the depressing finding, which is that if you are say a liberal and you're so you're more inclined to believe that gun control is a good thing it's not just that you sort of ignore events it's that you actually are more biased the higher numeracy the higher your numeracy score is so the smarter you are the more willing and able you are to use system two the worse you are at interpreting the evidence correctly so they they did say yeah and the same is true for the republicans which is that is the, the the finding that fucks with me, right? I mean, it's a str- it's a striking result. It would be bad enough if just your numeracy and just whether you were going, you know, based on your deliberations or just with your gut made no difference, right? Exactly. But, the, but but this is going with your gut, like actually makes you more likely to get it right than uh, than using your deliberative processes, and I guess. The... You're just making reason your little bitch, right? Like you're. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is. I've had. I've also had these these sort of crises where I think, like, what do I believe that I can reliably say is true? And one of the things that often fucks with me is like, the particular things that I believe as a psychologist. Like I know that I probably came out of grad school believing them because because of where I went to grad school. And not because of the data. So, like, my particular views on, like, child development were shaped by Paul, Paul, the fact that Paul Bloom was at Yale. Um, had I gone to a, another university that believes where people believe the exact opposite kind of thing, I would have come out believing the opposite thing. You might have believed that empathy was actually, like, worthwhile. It's not, it was not a d- destructive force. And that always fucked with me. But I always would say, like, well, so long as I pay attention and I think about it. Um, and in some ways, like I'm still full prey to this bias where I'm like, well, I know that everybody else does this, but like, I, like I'm probably getting the right answer. So, okay. This is one study, but like it goes against every, you know, nudge and thinking fast, thinking slow and Josh Green's book and Cass Sunstein stuff is basically just some big, like, like, like middle finger to all middle of that. Middle finger to all of that. <laughs> um, but I believe it. I believe it, and in this case, not because I want to believe it, because I don't want to believe it. Um, but I kind of want to believe it. There's just something so 
and there's maybe some evidence that it's true like we both we both like uh have different desires in this case (laughs) and we end up believing believing the same thing but like what do you do like what do you do so i gave this this long ass spiel that i just gave i gave his little talk to uh um to an undergrad group at Cornell last year and I sort of presented them this whole story. And at the end they were like, so how do we get people to believe the truth? And I was like, uh, I don't, how do you even know what to convince them about? (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. It was so funny how they jumped to like, well, but how do we get conservatives to believe in climate change then? Right. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, kind of missing the point. I mean, (laughs) right. It was really funny. And again, like, I don't, I I don't, I still think that we can acquire true beliefs. Like there is, I mean, one of the things to point out is there is a right answer in this study that they And it's did. not like we always get wrong answers. Right? No, right, I mean, right. Like, like science wouldn't no, exist, yeah. right? If, if like we wouldn't have rocket ships and vibrators. The vibrators. <laughs> I, I want to talk about the way they, t- that second thesis which is that I we try to keep our identities intact. They say that this is not an irrational a stance to hold, that this is individually rational for us to try to interpret evidence in such a way as we can keep our identities and our um, relationships um, f- fitting together. It's just... A tragedy of the commons problem, they they termed, is that when everybody does that, it actually leads to a ton of misinformation getting getting out there. But from an individual perspective, if I believe that some gun control study is is true and it's not, that doesn't that doesn't mess up the world, and it helps me stay you know friends with people and believe what I want to believe and believe that gun nuts are you know ignoring evidence and that I'm on the right side of that issue. So it's like no harm done from an individual perspective. It, the problem is when ev- when this happens at an institutionalized at an institutional level, then there's no reliable source of information to trust. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. It is. And I mean, it's, you know, part of it like is, is like, well, what do you mean by rational? Or, you know, the, the, the I think the, he, they mean, I think they don't define it, but like just what is um, beneficial for your well-being. Right. And, it, and so so if you can be rational and wrong, then that. Yeah. Then certainly like it, right. it doesn't it seems it seems like it, it, it itself is a heuristic. Um, like believe the stuff that people around you um, want to believe, um, because your but, life will go better that way. You're not constantly you're not like being a contrarian. And I mean, there's so much like you you get to the sort of like the the super thin the th- nature of knowledge and like the extraordinary amount of trust we put in. I mean, we talked about this. I think we talked about kids believing in Santa Claus. And, yeah, about that uh, New York Times op-ed. Neuroscience shows they ought to. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> so, like, but just the idea for a kid, I mean, I think this individually rational thing makes sense here. Like, from a kid's perspective, there's no downside into believing that there's a Santa Claus. It's working well for, for you. You know, all, all your friends believe in Santa Claus. You get presents from Santa Claus. It is rational for you to believe it in the sense of plenty of philosophy on this but like there is evolution did not guarantee accurate beliefs like it's right. kind of a quirk that we we can do math and find out true things about the universe there's no gene for being a bayesian 
<laughs> you know, no, right. here's another like example from childhood. So for a long time, I thought that Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret was an accurate representation of <laughs> girls going through puberty <laughs> and what they want and what they didn't want. Like, you know, I must, I must, I must, increase, must increase my, my bus. bus. Why do we <laughs> yeah. both know that? I, I know. It's weird. I read it. I read it more than once. I read it illicitly because we were given like the boys were given one book and the girls were given another book and never the twain shall meet. But I, I caught, I borrowed my. But as my own daughter grows up and I can recite to her pretty much most of, you know, the are you there, God, it's me, Margaret experience, uh, it turns out that there are certain key points where those things aren't accurate. So now I don't know what to believe anymore. (laughs) This this is what thrust you into it. Has this awoken you from your dogmatic slumber? It did. Exactly. (laughs) It's exactly what happened. So now... (laughs) I thought girls <laughs> did weird exercises to make their boobs big. Um, and that they all like were desperate to get their periods. I guess that was the thing that turns oh, out not yeah. to be 100% like sends accurate. a postcard lying. She just like lies to her friends. Like, I got it. Yeah. Um, I don't think we're the only people who read Are You There or Got It? And it made a no, no. <laughs> I think we're the only. It was like Deadpool had a reference to it. <laughs> did it? Yeah. You remember? It's very funny, actually. He's, like, fighting with some guy, and then he he cuts off the guy's head, and it goes flying in the air, and he goes, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. And then there's a big blood stain on the railing afterwards. (laughs) So then the question is, given given this problem that we're faced with, once I accept that it might be all, like, all my knowledge might be tainted, like, how do I go about actually ensuring that I believe accurate stuff? And I think that one of the keys is actually taking this seriously, this identity this identity view um, that they defend. And, and so this was the tentative answer that I gave them, which is when I look at the instances in which I feel like I've changed my mind because of evidence, it's always, it's never come because like, you know, some contrarian posted an article on Facebook that, that I read and changed my, it's usually in the context of interpersonal relationships where I really believe someone and respect them, their opinion so much so that when they tell me something that I don't, uh, that I am inclined to not believe, I take it seriously enough to actually pay attention. And there I deploy And you have a dialogue reason. with them where you actually talk with them and then you're going to come up with your biased sort of resistance and they are able to show you where the bias is and how you're resisting. Exactly, exactly. And you'll actually be open to it because it's sort of like you respect them yeah because you respect it because it's sort of like like white people really really get freaked out when they're accused of being racist they immediately shut down and i think that a lot of bad stuff gets completely ignored because uh there is a defensive reaction i mean it's just an example like because of the defensiveness but i think that's just exactly what goes on a lot of the time when you're threat any core belief is threatened whether it's about yourself or whether it's about the party line um you you just shut down you you just start you start thinking in a really really different mode and so there has to be this in the context of a relationship where you can actually have a belief challenged um we talked about this a little bit with valerie about how a friend can tell you like hey tamler you're being like a little racist yeah. Um, only a friend could really tell you that and have you actually not just go bananas, right? I'm, 
Yeah. There's a whole, we have this built in resistance, and it's the walls of resistance we have to changing our beliefs about something that we identify with pretty closely. And so you need a place where there's dialogue and people, and, and crucially, people you respect who you're engaging in that dialogue with. If that resistance is going to break down. I do think this is, speaking of John Haidt, where the whole idea of academic freedom and being allowed to float ideas, even if those ideas might seem repellent or controversial, like this is the sort of the, the ultimate justification for what academic freedom is supposed to bring, this opportunity where people can... But I, ironically, I think that part of what, what gets ignored in that discussion um, from people like John himself is the whole sort of building that safe environment um, and a relationship of mutual respect first. Right. Because yes. I think that— But I don't know about first. I would just say in tandem. I don't think you need this unfree period to just cleanse everybody to the point where they now yeah, yeah, are, yeah, yeah. Have, are capable of having respectful right. dialogue. It's not That's like day, be probably... day four of the retreat or whatever, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think it's more that those things both have to be going on at the same time, academic freedom, but also building a, uh, a community of people who mutually respect. Right. We don't, we don't need to do trust falls first. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or just, you know, purges. <laughs> purges. But that said, like the w one really, really good way to ensure that you don't have that is by like, it's like starting off. By the way, you're wrong about abortion. Um, and that <laughs> will shut people down, right? You're an idiot. Um, <laughs> like, you know, like I think that is, and that's, this is, I think, a hobby horse for both of us, maybe especially me, but like I, the sense of superiority, both moral and intellectual on the left and i just see it on the left i'm sure there are this exists on the right too i see it more on the left is i think both damaging in terms of trying to get people to to believe what you believe and also an obstacle in terms of coming to the accurate positions yeah i mean i you know so i i think it's equally shared in the on the right and left but but that's exactly i mean it's exactly right like what, why do you think just, it's equally shared um it's based on what <laughs> based on the fact that like i actually have family members on the right that i have to have these discussions with like all the time are they as snarky oh yeah i mean condescending and snarky it's yeah, yeah. I, this is why it's like, okay, am I being this way, right? Like, am I right. What I want to know is, like, are we allowed to be optimistic? One of the reasons that I even continue to do a podcast like this is because of the sort of playing with ideas that might not be ideas that I'm inclined to believe and in a context where there's humor. And we, just by making my thoughts public in this way... I feel like I'm sort of pre-committing to, to tr trying to make my epistemology reliable. Because be, if I say something, and now this could be totally wrong because it could just be that, that the people who agree with us end up being the regular listeners and people who don't, don't. But given the feedback that we get, and I, it, 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 to me, it's like, you know, this is the, one of the deep sources of value for this kind of thing. It's like we are having dialogue, we get feedback, and we, we're forcing ourselves to, to listen 
to people who disagree with us in a way that I think not a lot of people do. So let me let me understand your position. The solution to the the most difficult epistemic problem that that human beings face is the very bad wizards podcast. I don't I don't want to be arrogant about it, but you know, <laughs> but pretty much, yeah. I mean, it's it's <laughs> The evidence points in that direction. I feel like, you know, it, it, uh, 76 years ago, people didn't have very bad wizards. Um, and yeah. they, guess what? They believed that slavery was okay. Right. That's McCarthyism. Yeah. Since we started, like, gay marriage is legal. <laughs> a black president. I mean, I guess we reelected a black president. I mean, no, we're definitely on, you know, the the main primary factor behind most social <laughs> progress in the country. But no, I, I think actually, in all seriousness, one of the things that makes uh, that made us want to do this and that made us want to continue to do it, even when we went through some stretches where we're like, we're really going to do that topic again, is exactly what you're saying. We both share this openness without trying to be too arrogant to opposing points of view and a suspicion of feeling too certain that your point of view is right. But uh, I do worry, like um, I recently at a conference met a person who, and then the person who introduced us said, oh, this is, he's one of the people who does very bad wizards. And she said, Really? Oh, I listened to one episode and I thought you guys were assholes and I almost wrote you hate mail, but then I just never did. <laughs> so. Right. So there's all these almost hate mails. It's like I always say, like, don't like can't congratulate myself too much because there is like uh, it's a real epistemic problem. Like I, it's. Yeah. You know, no, we we tend to hear from the people who, you know, it's funny because for a lot of things, people loved like like the Ghostbusters movie. That yeah. people wanted to register how much they hated it, um, right. and that was the sort of over- overwhelming reaction. But I think when you're a fairly obscure like we are, that you're not going to take the time. It's not it's not good virtue signaling to say that you're against us because nobody know you know most yeah, exactly. chances are people don't know who we are. So <laughs> exactly, like, you so know what you I might as well just, how I identify in life yeah. as somebody who hates that very bad wizard fuck. But and here's the one thing, and we've said over and over again, which is that um, that that at least I'm optimistic that when we get when we get emails by from our listeners who disagree with us and we read them. That it gives me some hope that at least, like, I'm more so than I would have been having not done this, exposing myself to ideas I disagree with. And I hope that's true of the listeners, too. Like, even when we're assholes and we argue for things that they completely disagree with, the relationship that we've built with them as as podcasters is, like, making them entertain a thought even just fleetingly longer than they would have otherwise. At the risk of being too sentimental about this and revoking my rationalia citizenship, I agree. Like, I think that I hope that we've done that. You know, some of the emails that we get, they they shake foundations, like, in a serious way. Like, holy shit. And you know what? In your defense, I know that you have changed your opinions about your haircut because of our listeners. I have... Uh... You know, so we got this la- iTunes review. <laughs> Last thing I know. Last thing. We got this iTunes review. Some guy who just can't listen to us anymore because he just imagines me in that haircut that I had when we filmed the Patreon video. And 
I don't know. He he seems very like sincere <laughs> by the like like if only we hadn't done that, he, he could really be getting a lot out of this podcast. But because I had that like bowl haircut, it was really that I hadn't gotten a haircut in like two and a half months. He was like, "No, that's I'm what happens." He's like, "I'm serious you know? about this. Like, I'm right. not even saying this to get talked about on the show. Like that right. bowl haircut is like he's, he's like closed himself off to your." to right. your like and, and he gave us like a five-star five review like i think like trying to <laughs> represent accurately what he would otherwise have thought of the podcast which is that this is a really worthwhile endeavor just if he could just unsee that page you should put a director's cut of the uh the video and just redo it and just like uh have digital effects yeah. like, <laughs> like in the star wars America. yeah <laughs> exactly. like take the guns out of et like the the, the guys in et uh, <laughs> oh, fix yeah. my haircut yeah um well, we need uh, to record another video where i'll I'll have I won't have that haircut where you'll anymore. have like a hundred fifty dollar like New York City quaffs, <laughs> quaff. yeah, there's really nothing you can do with my hair like it's not gonna look that much better but it will look better like I was a little embarrassed the video when I went back and looked at at it after <laughs> after after he said that I was like oh yeah that's pretty and 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 he's not the only person to make jokes about it he's the only person who says they they can't listen to the podcast anymore. Because, I mean, uh, yeah. at least you can change your haircut. I'm stuck with this voice of tampon stuck in my throat. Um, <laughs> Did we ever establish that, that was definitely you? I'm pretty sure it was me. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but like the, la- the last thing is like this is – and I think this is why rationalia pisses me off so much. This is one thing that maybe is just our personality and maybe it's like yeah. by, by dint of this this like kind of dialogue. You can never take yourself that seriously. <laughs> right. Just the minute you start taking yourself and your opinions so seriously, like I feel like that's the minute you've sort of closed yourself off. Like, yeah. That's the big role that I think comedy plays and humor in general. It's a kind of humility. It's like there's one theme to like a lot of the shit we both hate. It's when people are just like feeling themselves so much that they yeah. that they like don't seem they've lost they've lost that ability to maybe for a second pretend. All right. You've now heard us say very sincerely how much we'd like to hear from you. So so please keep that up. Join us next time for our 98th episode on Very Bad Wizards. Very good man. Just a very bad wizard.